Good evening, my darlings, and welcome to Marley's Ghosts. It's time for another Dreadtime story. Now get yourselves all tucked in. Ready? Good. Let's begin. Tonight's story is The Murder Hole by Catherine Sinclair. In a remote district of country belonging to Lord Cassius, between Archer and Galloway, about 300 years ago, a moor of apparently boundless extent stretched several miles along the road, and the weary eye of the traveler, by the sameness and desolation of its appearance, not a tree varied the prospect, not a shrub this ungenial soil. One lonesome desert reached the horizon on every side, with nothing to mark that any mortal had ever visited the scene before, except a few rude huts that were scattered near its center, and a road, or rather a pathway, for those whom business or necessity obliged to pass in that direction. At length, deserted as this wild region had always been, it became still more gloomy, Strange rumors arose that the path of unwary travelers had been beset on this blasted heath, and the treachery and murder had intercepted the solitary stranger as he traversed its dreary extent. When several persons, who were known to have passed that way, mysteriously disappeared, the inquiries of their relatives led to a strict and anxious investigation. But though the officers of justice were sent to scour the countryside and examine the inhabitants, not a trace could be obtained of the persons in question, nor of any place of concealment which could be a refuge for the lawless or desperate to hoard in. Yet, as inquiry became stricter and the disappearance of individuals more frequent, the simple inhabitants of the neighboring hamlet were agitated by the most fearful apprehensions. Some declared that death-like stillness of the night was often interrupted by sudden and preternatural cries of more than mortal anguish, which seemed to arise in the distance. And Shepherd, one evening, who had lost his way in the moor, declared he had approached three mysterious figures, who seemed struggling against each other with supernatural energy, till at length one of them, with a frightful scream, suddenly sunk into the earth. Gradually, the inhabitants deserted their dwellings on the heath and settled in distant quarters, till at length but one of the cottages continued to be inhabited by an old woman and her two sons, who loudly lamented that poverty chained them to this solitary and mysterious spot. Travelers who frequented this road now generally did so in groups to protect each other, and if night overtook them, they usually stopped at the humble cottage of the old woman and her sons, where cleanliness compensated for the want of luxury, and where, over a blazing fire of peat, the bolder spirits smiled at the imaginary terrors of the road, and the more timid trembled as they listened to the tales of terror and affright with which their hosts entertained them. One gloomy and tempestuous night in November, a peddler boy 
hastily traversed the moor, terrified to find himself involved in darkness amidst its boundless wastes. A thousand frightful traditions connected with his dreary scene darted across his mind. Every blast as it swept in hollow gusts over the heath seemed to teem with the sights of departed spirits, and the birds, as they winged their way above his head, appeared with loud and shrill cries to warn him of approaching danger. The whistle with which he usually beguiled his weary pilgrimage died away into silence, and he groped along with trembling and uncertain steps, which sounded too loudly in his ears. The promise of scripture occurred to his memory and revived his courage. I will be unto thee as a rock in the desert and as a hiding place in the storm. Surely, thought he, though alone, I am not forsaken, and a prayer for assistance hovered on his lips. A light now glimmered in the distance, which would lead him in conjecture to the cottage of the old woman, and towards that he eagerly bent his way, remembering as he hastened along that when he had visited it the year before, it was in company with a large party of travelers who had beguiled the evening with those tales of mystery which had so lately filled his brain with images of terror. He recollected, too, how anxiously the old woman and her sons had endeavored to detain him when the other travelers were departing. And now, therefore, he confidently anticipated a cordial and cheering reception. His first call for admission obtained no visible marks of attention, but instantly the greatest noise and confusion prevailed within the cottage. They think it is someone of the supernatural visits of whom the old lady talks so much, thought the boy. Approaching a window where the light within showed him all the inhabitants at their several occupations, the old woman was hastily scrubbing the stone floor and strewing it thickly over with sand while her two sons seemed to equal haste be thrusting something large and heavy into an immense chest, which they carefully locked. The boy, in a frolicsome mood, thoughtlessly tapped on the window when they all instantly started up with consternation so strongly depicted on their countenances. He shrunk back involuntarily with an undefined feeling of apprehension. But before he had time to reflect a moment longer, one of the men suddenly darted out the door and, seizing the boy roughly by the shoulders, dragged him violently into the cottage. I'm not the one you take me for, said the boy, attempting to laugh, but only the poor peddler who visited you last year. Are you alone? inquired the old woman in a harsh, deep tone, which made his heart thrill with apprehension. Yes, said the boy. I'm here alone and alas, he added with a burst of uncontrollable feeling. I'm alone in the wide world. No person exists who would assist me in distress or shed a single tear if I died this very night. Then you are welcome, said the old woman with a sneer while he cast a glance of peculiar expression at the other inhabitants of the cottage. It was with a shiver of apprehension rather than of cold that the boy drew towards the fire and the looks which the old woman and her sons exchanged made him wish that he had preferred the shelter of any one of the roofless cottages which were scattered near. 
rather than trust himself among persons of dubious aspect. Dreadful surmises flitted across his brain, and terrors which he would neither combat nor examine imperceptibly stole into his mind. But alone and beyond the reach of assistance, he resolved to smother his suspicions, or at least not increase the danger by revealing them. The room to which he retired for the night had a confused and desolate aspect. The curtain seemed to have been violently torn down from the bed and still hung in tatters around it. The table seemed to have been broken by some violent concussion, and the fragments of various pieces of furniture lay scattered upon the floor. The boy begged that a light might burn in his apartment till he was asleep, and anxiously examined the fastenings on the door. But they seemed to have been wrenched asunder on some former occasion, and were still left rusty and broken. It was long ere the peddler attempted to compose his agitated nerves to rest. But at length his senses began to steep themselves in forgetfulness, though his imagination remained painfully active, and presented new scenes of terror to his mind with all the vividness of reality. He fancied himself again wandering on the heath, which appeared to be peopled with specters, while beckoned him to enter the cottage as he approached it. They vanished with a hollow and despairing cry. The scene then changed, and he found himself again seated by the fire, where the countenances of the men scowled upon him with the most terrifying malignity. And he thought the old woman suddenly seized him by the arms and pinioned him to the side. Suddenly the boy was startled from these agitated slumbers, but by what sounded to him like a cry of distress, he was brought awake in a moment and sat up in bed. But the noise was not repeated, and he endeavored to persuade himself it had only been a continuation of the fearful images which had disturbed his rest. When, on glancing at the door, he observed underneath it a broad red stream of blood silently stealing its course along the floor. Frantic with alarm, it was but the work of a moment to spring from his bed and rush to the door, through a chink of which his eye nearly dimmed with fright, he could watch, unsuspected, whatever might be done in the adjoining room. His fear vanished instantly when he perceived that it was only a goat that had been slaughtered, and he was about to steal into his bed again, ashamed of his groundless apprehensions, when his ear was arrested by a conversation which transfixed him aghast with terror to the spot. This is an easier job than you had yesterday, said the man who held the goat. I wish all the throats we've cut were as easily and quietly done. Did you ever hear such a noise as that old gentleman made last night? It was well we had no neighbor within a dozen miles, or they must have heard his cries for help and mercy. Don't speak of it, replied the other. I was never fond of bloodshed. Ha, 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 said the other man with a sneer. You say so, do you? I do, answered the first, gloomily. The murder hole is the thing for me. That tells no tales. A single scuffle, a single plunge, 
and the fellow's dead and buried in your hand in a moment. I would defy all of the officers of Christendom to discover any mischief there. I, nature, did us a good turn when she contrived such a place as that. Who that saw a hole in the heath filled with clear water, and so small that the long grass meets over the top of it, would suppose that the depth is unfathomable, and that it conceals more than forty people who have met their deaths. <laughs> it sucks them in like a leech. How do you mean to dispatch the lad in the next room? Asked the old woman in an undertone. The elder son made her a sign to be silent and pointed towards the door where the trembling auditor was concealed, while the other, with an expression of brutal ferocity, passed his bloody knife across his throat. The peddler boy possessed a bold and daring spirit which was now roused to desperation, but in any open resistance, the odds were so completely against him that the flight seemed his best resource. He gently stole to the window, and having by one desperate effort broke the rusty bolt by which the casement had been fastened, he let himself down without noise or difficulty. This betokens good, thought he, pausing in an instant in dreadful hesitation, what direction to take. This momentary deliberation was fearfully interrupted by the hoarse voice of the men calling aloud, The boy has fled! Let loose the hounds! These words sunk like a death knell on his heart, for escape would now appear impossible, and his nerves seemed to melt away like wax in a furnace. Shall I perish without a struggle? thought he, rousing himself to exertion and helpless and terrified as a hare pursued by its ruthless hunters, he fled across the heath. Soon the bang of the hound broke the stillness of the night, and the voice of its master sounded through the moor as they endeavored to accelerate its speed. Panting and breathless, the boy pursued his hopeless career. But every moment his pursuers seemed to gain upon his failing steps. The hound was unimpeded by the darkness, which was to him so impenetrable, and its noise rung louder and deeper on his ear, while the lanterns which were carried by the men gleamed near and distinct upon his vision. At his fullest speed, the terrified boy fell with violence over a heap of stones, and having nothing on but his shirt, he was severely cut in every limb. With one wild cry to heaven for assistance, he continued prostrate on the earth, bleeding and nearly insensible. The hoarse voices of the men and the still louder baying of the dog were now so near that instant destruction seemed inevitable. Already he felt himself in their fangs and the bloody knife of the assassin appeared to gleam before his eyes. Despair renewed his energy, and once more, in an agony of a fright that seemed verging towards madness, he rushed forward so rapidly that terror seemed to have given wings to his feet. A loud cry near the spot he had left arose on his ears without suspending his flight. 
The hound had stopped at the place where the peddler wounds bled so profusely, and deeming the chase now over, it lay down there. It could not be induced to proceed. In vain the men beat it with a frantic violence and tried again to put the hound on the scent. The sight of blood had satisfied the animal that its work was done, and with dogged resolution it resisted every inducement to pursue the same scent a second time. The peddler boy, in the meantime, paused not in his flight till morning dawned, and still as he fled the noise of steps seemed to pursue him, and the cry of his assassin still sounded in the distance. Ten miles off he reached a village, and spread instant alarm throughout the neighborhood. The inhabitants were aroused with one accord into a tumult of indignation. Several of them had lost sons, brothers, or friends on the heath, and all united in proceeding instantly to seize the old woman and her sons, who were nearly torn to pieces by their violence. Three gibbets were immediately raised on the moor, and the wretched culprits confessed before their execution to the destruction of nearly fifty victims in the murder hole, which they pointed out, and the near which they suffered of the penalty of their crimes. The bones of several murdered persons were, with difficulty, brought up from the abyss into which they had been thrust. But so narrow is the aperture, and so extraordinary the depth that all who see it were inclined to coincide in the tradition of the country people, that it is unfathomable. The scene of these events still continues nearly as it was three hundred years ago. The remains of the old cottage, with its blackened walls, haunted, of course, by a thousand evil spirits, and the extensive moor on which a more modern inn, if it can be dignified with such an epitaph, resembles its predecessor in everything but the character of its inhabitants. The landlord possesses extraordinary genius. He has himself manufactured a violin on which he plays with untaught skill. And if any discord be heard in the house or any murder committed in it, this is his only instrument. His daughter, who has never traveled beyond the heath, has inherited her father's talents and learned all his tales of terror and superstition which she relates with infinite spirit. But when you are led by her across the heath to drop a stone into that deep and narrow gulf to which our story relates, when you stand on its slippery edge and, parting the long grass with which it's covered, gaze into its mysterious depths, when she describes with all the animation of an eyewitness the struggle of the victims grasping the grass as a last hope of preservation and trying to drag in their assassin as an expiring effort of vengeance, when you are told that for three hundred years the clear waters in the diamond of the desert have remained untasted by mortal lips, and that the solitary traveler is still pursued at night by the howling of the bloodhound, it is then it is possible to fully appreciate the terror 
of the murder hole. The end. Thank you for listening to Marley's Ghosts with me, your ghostess, Deborah Marley. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Marley's Ghosts or send me an email at Marley's Ghosts Podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, Visit my Patreon, where we have lots of tiers to choose from, each with their own special treats. Rate and review so our community of Dread Time listeners can grow. Until next time, my darlings, sleep well.